Welcome to the podcast. My name is Robert Berger. I'm here joined by our host, Lee Griffin and Scott Boris to go over part two of the uh, icing advisory circular. How are you guys doing today? Icing again? Didn't we already talk about icing? Yeah, there's a lot to it, man. Oh, never, never run out of topics. That's never run bad. out of icing okay, conversation. Well, I guess I guess I have a lot to learn then. Don't we all? What are we What are we covering, Lee? Um, just what I'm uh, remembering from last time, what we covered, or how little I remember from last time. Uh, looks like what we have left is uh, uh aircraft, different aircraft and their capabilities. Um, different uh, in-flight weather services. Um. And then uh, we'll kind of just uh, look at kind of a escape guidance, how to get out of icing conditions. If you do encounter any inadvertent icing uh, conditions, you know, if you're in a non-known icing equipped aircraft. Um, and then uh, different handling characteristics of the different, uh, you know, classes of aircraft as you graduate into bigger airplanes. They have different, you know, icing capabilities and uh, different handling characteristics as you go through the different uh Amounts of ice from, you know, light to uh, severe amounts of ice. Hopefully all right. get through all that. What, um, let's start it off. We'll pick like four different airplanes with like different varying levels of de-icing capabilities. And it kind of walk us through the different types of de-icing systems and stuff you can, you can find on airplanes. Uh, mm-hmm. First one we'll go with, and we'll, we'll punt this over to Scott Boris, our resident Cessna 150 expert. What That's right. de-icing or anti-icing capabilities does a 150 have, Scott? Uh, zero. It has well, some, car- doesn't it? Car- really? Carburetor. Oh, it does, have, it does have carburetor heat and it does have pitot heat. But as far as like your, your surface, your leading edges, it's got nothing. So we call that non-certified then. Yeah, I would even say though so. it has, Even though it has some features. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to do you a whole lot of good if you're flying into a bunch of ice. How do you, how do you, how do you use the system, Scott? Like the pedo heat. How would you use the pedo heat? And then, like, we'll break down. How do you? How would you use carb heat? Like, what well, would be the pedo heat is probably mel or placarded in op on that thing. <laughs> pedo heat. Yeah, I don't even know if it works anymore. I haven't used it, and I, I suppose if I was. <laughs> I probably if you know if my airspeed stopped working, I'd probably pull the pitot heat on. <laughs> By then, it's but, too late, sir. But you should probably have it on if you're flying in anything that you think could possibly produce ice. I would imagine you'd just pull it on. Uh, you know, carburetor heat. I would I apply that if I'm uh, anytime I'm going to reduce power. You know, if if you I just use you know usually like when you're about to go on downwind, I'll just pull it on if it. If the engine runs a little rough or it sputters, I'd probably pull it out a little slower. Just you know, I don't. Do you, I don't get you pull that carbide out. out. You pull it out then slowly. The for the uh, listener, probably, it, the carburetor, yeah. the carb, the carburetor heat switch. So you don't understand. We're not making weird jokes here. You, it's, it's a, a it's a cable. It's this knob that's attached to a cable. So to activate it in the in the Cessna 150s, at least, you pull that. Basically, you pull that out, and it's pulling a cord out of the uh, the panel that's linked to the the carburetor the or cable. just the baff yeah. the baffle that's throwing yeah. exhaust yeah. heat yeah. around your carburetor. Yeah. Correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. So if if it starts to run rough, you pull it out slowly. Then uh, that's how I do it, right, Lee? 
No, I mean, we went, we went round about this and, uh, we did, you know, we did determine some of the, you know, the different, um, ideologies and we got a little bit of clarification because in that episode, it sounded like you were saying you kind of pull it in increments. No, no, no. Like, it, it, well, it, but that's it how it sounded. Off. Okay. But that's how okay. it sounded. Well, here's how I do it. If and it, now if I pull it on. But if I pull, if I start pulling it on, it starts running rough. I'll slowly pull it out over the course of probably like five seconds. Right, and yeah. I would not necessarily. I wouldn't. I would you say would that, is that as fast as possible. Like I would probably have it from full cold to full hot or full on, whatever way, you, however it's placarded in that particular airplane, and probably one second, My one time. one thousand. Just I because I recognize yeah. and I trust what just yank it on there as fast as possible. Well, not fast as possible because I mean, I, you can yank, yeah. I mean, you can you know pull it out and it, the control can be in your hand. But I want the I want the I want it to be a rapid increase in heat, I don't want it to be a gradual increase in heat, is what I'm against. See, probably both will work I and obviously thought, it hasn't killed you yet with all the flying time that you have uh in the different varying conditions and you've been fine rob you've done your way in all your hours and it's been fine i've done my way in all my hours in carburetor airplanes and it's been fine so there's probably not really that big of a difference between the different types of, my, or my the different was, styles my theory was, and this is just all. Your theory is wrong, but well, start there. let me let me state my theory. But you know, this is all in my head. This is not any proven, anything proven. But you know, you're you're pouring water into your engine when you pull the carb heat on, right? Because you're melting the ice. Yeah. My thought was, yeah. let that water go in slowly rather than pour all that water in there all at once. That was my thought. I yeah. just don't think five seconds, even in that theory hypothetically let's say you're doing it that way and it's better i don't understand how of a five second poll versus a one second poll would make any difference well if you well it probably doesn't just makes me feel better (laughs) yeah it's i mean because you i mean you got to think you're going from no no heat from around that muffler shroud in these cases there's no heat going or maybe minimal going through until you pull that control. But how linear is that control? You know, you can get to a quarter open on the control and that might be three quarter open on the actual baffle. But in this case, you know that uh, with the, with the slow application, you get to a quarter when you think it's running rough, you think you're actually doing some service by, uh, um, slowing it down by slowing it down, and you might not be. I mean, you you you, you might already be at the, when you have the control move a quarter percent. Yeah, quarter, it might already be pouring enough, almost full open yeah. for all we yeah. know. You know, yeah. and if you're getting those those um, engine um, uh, vibrations and the rough running, it's ingesting ice. How much ice did you have in the carburetor? How much is ingested already? But I want well, a rapid increase in temperature is what I want. that, And so the only way I can guarantee that is if I go full cold to full hot in a relatively short period of time. And I would still say I would agree with you. Five seconds is still a relatively short period of time. 
So, but that is what I've learned after the fact, though. In the in in the last episode, you kind of made it sound like it was an incremental increase. Well, I mean, and I might I leave it. I, I might leave it there. You know, I might pull out a quarter and then leave it there for like a second or two, and then start to pull out more. But and now like, you're wrong. And now you're wrong again. I was giving you the benefit of the doubt there for a second. I'm just saying, you're going to go from off, it's gonna go from off to on within like five seconds. I, I might stop and let it melt for a second, and then pull the rest way on. I don't know. I don't think it, it oh, melts off dude, that you are fast, digging a hole. You're digging a oh, hole, I'm dude. Digging you a went hole. from bad to worse. You know what? I, I will never slowly pull it out again. I will yank it out as fast as possible. I'm going to go on aircraft spruce right now and order a couple spare cables in case I break them. Just going to yank that on. It's just don't even worry about it. Lee. It's going to be, it's going to be on there in, in, in you, you say one second, I say a quarter second. That's what I'm talking about. That will save your life one day. You know what? You should talk to aircraft spruce and get, make it like a dollar shave club.com type thing. Every month they just send you new garbage cable. Send me one every month. Cause I'm going to break that. Then like a five pack, like a five pack of razors. You should look at this carb heat as like a disposable one time use pole shoot thing. Like right. every time Just, you deploy carb heat, yeah. it requires a mechanic to set your plane back up to yeah. make it right again. Put, reinstall the new cable because it, it broke. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that out there right away. I'm telling you, just, so wire, I'm, I'm it, just wire it open, full open all the time. You're done. Yeah, leave it out. Yeah. Well, I'm, so glad, why I'm glad we got on agreement on that topic now so that's so lee that's lee what would, what would be the drawback or scott you can jump in on this why don't if that's a problem why don't you just keep carb heat on all the time i mean i don't know the answer i'm just pulling it up for conversation uh, can you guys explain that it reduces uh it reduces your horsepower doesn't it yeah, Lee. yeah, and I mean, anytime, anytime you know you're thinning out that that mixture by bringing in extra heated air or preheated air in this case, and in, in another case, well, a lot of people don't think about this. That's unfiltered air. It's okay. Yeah. You don't want to use carb heat on the ground. Like I know, like in the Cub, you'll get carb ice taxing out. That airplane is the most susceptible to carb ice airplane that I've flown. I know others are more susceptible, but you'll get carb ice. When you go to do your run-up before you take off, you'll have carb ice. I've had that in the, the O200 before on the 150s. I mean, that's basically the same engine. I've never had an O200 taxing after the runway. I think it happened once or twice. Okay. We've, I mean, we've, it, we've done a lot more than you have in that particular model. Yeah, yeah, I can't really remember, but it's probably happened when I do your run-up and you test the carb heat, it probably yeah. is. So, um... The question, I, so the the point is, is yeah, you don't want to, you yeah, you could uh, kind of push that off and have carb heat on while you taxi out to the runway and not have carb ice when you get there, assuming your engine was warm enough to generate enough heat to get through it, but whatever. Um, but you, it's unfiltered air. So any bugs, dirt, whatever that's blowing around, that's going right in your engine. So that that that's one thing. That's one reason why you don't want to do it. Two, like Scott said, performance. I mean, you're just losing so much effort, you know, when you pull it on. You're losing so you can see the RPM drop. Oh that's yeah, one thing we're checking. That's how you that's, test for that's it. How you know it's working. Yeah, right. That's how you know when you pull that control, that baffles opening, letting that warm air through the carburetor. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're you're getting rid of uh, horsepower. So that's why you wouldn't do it. But 
a judgment call. If you thought you had enough excess horsepower that you could take off with it on and it was in carburetor ice forming conditions, then, but see, you're wide open on takeoff. Yeah, you're wide you're open not too takeoff. likely to get it when you're wide open, are you? Right. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. That's why we pulled on before we reduce power yeah. because that's when, when you're moving that, that valve, that, uh, that butterfly valve in there, you're creating that low pressure on the backside, lower pressure, lower temperature. It's going to squeeze out any excess moisture. And if the throttle, th- any of the components in the, in the Venturi throat is cold enough, that moisture you just squeezed out, it's going to adhere to the inside of that throttle, uh, th- the throat there. Um, and so that's why you want to have it preheated so you're out of that uh, that range. And that's why we t- going back to the different philosophy and how to apply the carb heat. Um, you want to have the carb temp gauge if you are going to do partial application of heat. And that is what I thought you were talking about originally, Scott, was a partial application basically or doing it incrementally, not a slow pull. No, yeah, slow it's more pull. of a slow, slow pull. Yeah. Well, I'm getting that now, but when you start talking incrementally, you got to remember there's people listening and they have an instructor that's teaching them that's how you do it or you do partials. Okay. What that, you know, whatever. And it's, and it's not, I mean, I can, yeah, there's not really any reason to do a partial. It, well, can, in bigger bore engines, it is okay. Radials. It's common. It's okay to do if you have yeah. a carb temp gauge. Us and I have a car, carb temp gauge, and maybe if, if you want to do it a different way, get a carb temp gauge. You'll never hear anything out of me if you have a carburetor temp gauge. But since we don't, just like when we don't have a uh, an exhaust gas temperature, EGT gauge, you're going to yeah. do things totally different if you have an EGT gauge with your mixture than if you don't have one. Same thing with the exa- uh, the um, carburetor temp gauge. Do things operate two totally different ways because you don't know where you are. So you have to you have to find your limits, your boundaries, and uh, work work within the confines of, of of the system without those gauges to tell you the information. Okay, so that that sums up the one fifty. I think we got the covered. That's kind of like the worst airplane I've flown with time in as far as I'd want to be in in icing conditions for the most part. Uh, a step up from that, I would let's go with like a Cirrus because I believe some of those Cirruses are certified no nice. Yes, sir. Um, as far as I know, I'm not an expert on that system, but I, I believe so. What What is the What do you know about the system though? It's alcohol, isn't it? How does that work? So like, I mean, Scott, you call it TKS fluid, anyway. right? It's just it's like mm-hmm. I don't I don't actually know what it's made out of, but it it's liquid that comes out of little tiny holes in the leading edges that melts the ice right mm-hmm. yeah and it prevents ice from forming also what's what's awesome about that system and it's the only system of all the different anti-icing systems is when that fluid when it comes out of these the porous leading edge when it comes out it actually can flow backwards from the leading edge. So if there's ice behind the leading edge, it can actually get rid of that too. Yeah. And it is the only system that allows you to do that, which is super cool. And I mean, if you were to put that on, you know, a, a high performance, like, you know, a King Air, which we'll talk about or, or whatever, uh, or, a, or a jet, if you were to put this system on it, you wouldn't realize the total benefits because a lot of times in the, in those faster airplanes, when when the leading edge 
gets rid of ice. You create a rough edge if there were any ice, like we talked about super cool uh, liquid droplets. If you have that uh, kind of adhering to the airframe, to the leading edge of the wings, and they've hit and they've kind of gone back with the aerodynamic push and then they've frozen there, you're you're only going to de-ice the leading edge. So when it does de-ice or is anti-iced, whatever the case may be, you expose kind of a hard edge, which the wind can catch, and then it can shed that ice off. But when you're talking a lower speed GA aircraft, you're not going to have that type of speed typically to maybe rip off some really tenacious uh, clear ice. The the alcohol, the TKS systems that are getting really, really popular on a lot of these lighter GA airplanes, it will roll back with aerodynamics and get some of that off for you. So it's a huge benefit to them. It's got some complexities and some peculiarities as far as I know. I just wonder if it's got to add more weight to the aircraft, I would think, having that system on there to run. I don't know what it looks like underneath the wing, but there's got to be, you know, to little pipes and channels for that fluid to run along the leading edge of the aircraft. There's got to be, I don't know if it's significant, but at least some more weight added to the aircraft. I but I don't know, so, maybe yeah. it's not any more than the other systems. It could be. Well, and that's in, in a lot of times, you know, originally those came out as kind of like a, a retrofit. Yeah. And I know a lot of the systems they have are, uh, you know, a retrofit to existing airframes. You know, I've seen some um, Piper Saratogas that never came with any anti-icing and TKS or, you know, whatever the various brand. I know there's multiple brands now doing the um, TKS fluid or the, you know, the alcohol fluid, it's a retrofit. And so now it is just pure extra weight. Like you just said, yeah. you know, yeah. If, if you have a brand new airplane you can say, Hey, you know, we're going to install, this is going to be a known, uh, a known icing equipped aircraft. We can go with boots. We can go with a heated wing or, uh, you know, whatever, uh, or the TKS. You're, yeah. In that case, yeah, you're going to add weight no matter what you do which one is going to be the most beneficial for that, that specific airplane. And it's like Cirrus, obviously, you know, the old the uh, Columbia's and, you know, the kind of like the Cirrus, they're now the Cessna yep, TTX. Yep. yep. Those are when they were Columbia 350 and 400, maybe only the 400. Those originally had lead, heated leading edges. It was just electrically heated the whole leading edge. I remember that. Did Cessna change uh, it to TKS? I believe they did. Okay. What, I believe they why why did they change it? Do you know? Well, my theory, my thought would be, if you look at, well, look at the taxing that that would put on that alternator to run a heated wing. Oh, yeah, you'd need a lot of energy to heat that up. Oh, man. And and they did have two alternators. Well, I was going to say, normally, they probably had a, an extra alternator on it just for that. If it, Well, they for sure had two, because when you're doing a single engine IFR certified for like commercial operations, you probably want two I'm anyway. Sure well, you have to have two independent yeah. electrical systems, two batteries, two alternators, two everything. Um, so I know they definitely had that, but even still, that's taxing. You know, yeah. I'm sure they did some staggered thing where only the inboard portion would be uh, um, actuated. Then those would cycle off. The yeah, they could probably time would, it. So it didn't well, run and, and all so the systems at the same time. In but. the Lear 31, the horizontal stabilizer, and we can talk about this in, in a bit. I guess we're just kind of rolling it all together. Yeah. But that had an electrically heated stable uh, horizontal stabilizer, the tail. 
that was electric. And yeah. so they couldn't do the whole thing at once. Obviously, that'd be a huge load on on the generators in that case. So they had to they they cycled. So they had like six, and I forget now, but they had like, or maybe they had five. Two on the top, one on the leading edge, and then two on the bottom. It looked just like a boot, like a normal de-ice boot, but it was heated. Yeah. And so it would just cycle which element was running each time. So it you know, overall, you know, it, it would expose a jagged edge to the airflow, so that would shed some. And then if it didn't, that that it would cycle through, and eventually it would shed the ice. So I'm assuming the uh, what I guess was the Columbia at the time. I, I'm assuming it did something like that, or that'd be a huge amount of now, uh, of load on the alternators or batteries. Now I don't know if the Cirrus does this, but you have de-icing. If it's certified no ice, you got to have de-icing on your propeller as well. And you can have the TKS, the alcohol, kind of another name for that is weeping wing for the the alcohol system, correct? You yep, have yeah. the you know the fluid come out of the the hub of the propeller, right? Yeah, and, you can do that. That was that was kind of an old. I mean, I doubt I doubt they do that. I bet they're electrically heated. I think most of the propellers are electric. I don't know though. Yeah, I would imagine that, that is just too take, convenient. Yeah, that doesn't take too much energy either. It's small. You know, right? Because they don't—they're right. not doing the entire pro- leading edge of the propeller blades. They just do the right by the just hub because that's where the—that's yeah. where the icing is going to crew first on a on a moving prop, right? Most of them will yeah, have like that a foot or so, right? Of mm-hmm. exactly. Okay, and then centrifugal force is going to shed a lot because you got to think there's there's airplanes out there that don't have any. I mean, you're going to have you're going to have inadvertent icing encounters. It's been happening since the beginning of time. And I mean, eventually the ice sheds when it has enough weight, you have enough centrifugal force, it's going to shed the ice. It's just going to happen. So they're assuming that the outboard most portion is moving fast enough. that It's going to kind of self shed. And that centrifugal force is, you know, that that's applied um, on other types of, you know, transport category, anti-ice systems. And, and maybe we'll get to that when we talk about the, when we get there, but um, that inboard portion, yes, it is the slowest moving and, it is near the spinner, which of course, you know, is obviously going to accrue some ice. So all that area is, 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 uh, that's the most critical of the de-ice. But yeah, they used to be alcohol, but I, I, I don't know for sure, but I would assume everything now, the Cirruses, the Cessna TTXs, all that stuff, it's probably all electric. I don't know of anything that isn't now. I don't know about you guys, yeah, but I'm not I sure. don't know of anything. Yeah, I don't okay. know. There's not a lot of uh, rental planes down in South Florida that have the uh, certified no nice that I well, encounter. Yeah. yeah, but in your your aviation career, you've you've seen and been around enough airplanes. I mean, you kind of yeah. I was getting that. Um, so to be certified, like I, I look at the Cirrus, and I think we, you and I, kind of both came up with this example. Mainly you, I think. I didn't realize the Cirrus was certified no nice. I just knew it had de-icing equipment. Um. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Way to throw me under the bus. Hold on, let me look. I I believe I believe it is. What would you? So you you got to have it on the wings. You got to have it on the elevator. You got to have it on the propeller. Uh, you don't necessarily have to have it on the elevator. And no. you mean horizontal stabilizer, but not yeah. necessarily on the elevator. Okay. So the horizontal stabilizer, the vertical stabilizer. I'd assume you'd have to have it on there for certified no nice, or maybe not. Say that again. I was typing. Sorry. Would you have basically what are what's the minimum? Like I look at 
if the Cirrus is certified no nice, which I th- we started this segment assuming it was that they had a uh-huh. version you could get, you could get certified no nice. Um, they are, yeah. I, I just want to make sure. I was, o- I was ninety eight percent. Yeah, and yes, they are no icing equipped. So I looked, so, at, I looked at that as like the kind of the bare minimum of what you could get that is technically certified no ice, but I. I would not be comfortable flying that into much cert- known icing conditions, even though it is certified. What mm-hmm. What's the minimum capabilities you have to get to get issued that that certificate? You got to think. You got to think the aerodynamic characteristics of that airplane. So this is going to blow probably some people's mind. But I've flown a, tr- a transport category airliner that had no anti icing capability on the tail at all. Really? None. Yep. So only wings up, What if it builds up a bunch of ice on the tail? The according to the manual on that airplane, it says no handling. It, this is what it says verbatim: no handling difficulties will result. Really? So what? you can build up? Yep. Uh, two inches of ice, and it'll just be fine. I don't know. We're supposed to yeah. think so. I guess. I and guess what, you got. I've got enough plenty of ice on it. I've had plenty of ice on it. And that's, on the, that's on the Embraer? I it's on an, an airplane. Yeah, that's not not the Embraer. But oh, okay. Huh. I didn't know I assumed you'd have to have it on the tailplane. Embraer was too long ago. I don't even remember what that thing had, but um Yeah, no, I mean it's what they found when they did wind tunnel tests wind wind tunnel tests. Um that whatever they found to be issues. And where they saw the localized airflow separating early and all kinds of stuff due to ice, you know, uh, um, accreting on the on the leading edge, they determined where it needed the stuff. And if if they could, because you got to remember when you turn on those wings, the anti ice in the wings, and you open those valves, that's taking bleed air off the engines. It is a significant power reduction. So the less you have to take off those engines to supply any ice to the critical surfaces, the better off you're going to be. So if they can say, Hey, we can heat these wings, but we don't need to heat the tail. That is, you know, that is a win in terms of engine performance. So they had a prerogative to design the tail plane in such a way that it didn't need any ice. Hmm. There's a lot that goes into it. I mean, it it just snowball out of control. This conversation. So the Cirrus, what's the minimum to, for that certified? They got the weeping wing, they got mm-hmm. the heated prop. Yep. They got pedo heat. Yep. They don't have carburetor heat because it's it's uh, fuel injected. Mm-hmm. Um. Does it have? He, does it have heated windshield? I'm not a hundred percent. Um. Would you, you have? Do you have? Do you have you well, yeah. You you would have to have you would at least have to be able to demonstrate that you have enough defrost capability that you could keep it clear of ice. Okay, so you could be throwing if it's got the ability to throw heat up from behind it and heat it up enough to right. sling it from the inside. You wouldn't well, necessarily have the one have heating that. element. What's that? There's another uh, method of de-icing that the 150 has. But you're well, you have. I mean, comes out right behind the windshield. Right. I mean, I would call that anti-ice, but you know, whatever, we're splitting yeah. hairs. Yeah. But in the in the Cirrus, they also may be able to use that um, that uh, alcohol. That might be also... Oh, free. yeah. 
you could sling you could sling it up on the windshield probably on the Lear on the Lear thirty one you had we had bleed air so there's like a duct and I know that's common on citations I believe we had a duct that would come up and that would you know anti ice the windshield and then um, we also had if we got if it was really bad we did have a uh, alcohol system in there as well. Hmm. Believe it or not. So on a, on a transport category jet, yeah, granted it was certified 30 years ago, but it would work. So if it was bad, you could always, you know, uh, get that uh, alcohol going and that would, you know, take care of everything. So that was the alcohol actually came out of the nose. So like the radome area, if people are familiar with that, so that's right on the very tip of the nose. Uh, there was a, a port that would uh, secrete the alcohol mixture. And it would uh, de-ice the the kind of the um, the nose, and also the um, the uh, windshield. Okay, pretty cool. I mean, it was re- nice and redundant. You know, I never had to use it, but um, so we so got a, basically. You're saying alcohol solves everything. Alcohol solves everything, as I'm proving currently. All right, um, so we got windshield needs to be able to get the ice off of it. Obviously, the leading edges of the wings, the propeller. Pedo heat. Uh, tailplane seems like it's optional from what you said. When well, I, I, they found the wind tunnel when yeah. they certified the airplane. If it Why has to now? be the tailplane, then the tailplane. What else? What other areas need the need de-icing typically? Um, you know, I mean, so we, I mean, we talked about in the 150, you know, we just talked about the indu- induction icing is really what, you know, carburetor icing would be. And of course, um, in a fuel injected airplane, supposedly they can still get ice. They can still get induction icing. As that fuel goes through those nozzles, you're still having the same similar equation happening. You have, you know, a, a, a local, very localized low pressure area when that uh, fuel comes out, and you can still form some ice. It's still possible, but. Due to inherent other design characteristics, you know, you got that fuel in the combustion chamber. You have the fuel lines on top of the engine. Heat rises. So you have a lot of the same things that cause vapor lock in a hot summer. The same things that eliminate some of the carburetor or the induction icing potential of a fuel injected engine. So I don't know how you'd ever get it. They say that theoretically you can. They're just less susceptible to it. But yeah, theoretically you can still get induction icing in a fuel injected airplane. I don't know. I don't get. I don't get ice in my car. I mean, I know it's obviously not the same thing, but yeah, um, I, I, I never, I've never, I never heard of ice and fuel injection. Yeah, I mean, you go read the aeronautical information for uh, what am I saying? Pilot's handbook of aeronautical knowledge, and they will talk about, and they will just describe it as it's not susceptible or it's less susceptible due to the design basically is what they'll say. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, we talked about, you know, so as far as like airframe icing, I mean, I think you've covered it. We got the prop. I mean, I guess, yeah, the prop and then the leading edge or the, the airfoils, um, primary flight controls. I mean, we've got all that covered. Pito, Pito, he would be the only other thing that I would really think about, you know, in a light GA airplane. Um, okay. to be, to be a uh, consideration, but they may, they can come with all kinds of stuff. Obviously you want to see out the window and you know, I've, I've never flown a Cirrus. 
So I don't know exactly what the limitations are on the windshield icing, but on a lot of other small GA airplanes, I do know the limitations and that's pretty important component. I would say. Yeah. You know, I mean, hell half of them don't really have good heat that works inside the airplane to begin with. How am I going to count on that defrost to keep the windshield clear? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cold up there. Yeah. The one fifty. We'll kick it up. We'll kick it up a notch. Let's go to like a King air. That's obviously certified no nice, and I I personally would be a lot more comfortable being in icing conditions in a King Air that's certified for no nice versus like a Cirrus. So I mean, you bring up a good point. Let me stop you there. So what do you? So why? I mean, there's a bunch of people that are thinking it's a, a Cirrus. It's it's a nice airplane. I paid good money for it. It says it's no icing equipped. What makes you? What makes you say that? What makes you? Why do you say that? Why do you say you'd be more comfortable in a King Air? Or maybe it doesn't even need to be a King Air. We can back back it down to something. But what are you, what are your thoughts there? Both of you guys. Uh, um, uh, a lot of people thinking, I just paid $600,000 for this Cirrus. I'm hearing now that I should have bought something else. I could get a Navajo for, for $200,000 and save myself $400,000. That's I, that's what somebody couldn't hear. Higher, but yeah. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, I got that, but <laughs> it's a lot of yeah. That's four hundred thousand dollars. A lot of av gas. Oh, that's true. A lot of av gas. Yeah. A lot of maintenance. Take you a while to burn through that four hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so why? So I yeah. just I. It's just a. I don't know if I could articulate it. I'd, I'd probably have to think about it. You kind of sprung this on me. Um, well, I can tell you why I'd feel more comfortable, but I kind of want to hear how you guys. Well, I just I mean, it has it two who, engines. You're the one who said it, Rob. It, it has two engines for one. So if you get into a an icing situation where you have ice building up on the the airplane, you you got a lot more power to power through it or fly above it or or get out of it in the uh, King Air than you would in a Cirrus. Like you say, it's six hundred, like six hundred grand. Yeah, that's a lot of money. It's certified no nice and everything. In it, I would certainly prefer a Cirrus over a lot of other stuff if I'm getting into icing conditions because it is certified and has has a lot of capabilities. But I mean, at 600 grand, when you're talking airplanes, I mean that's that's still like almost in the little leagues, like as far as just options of what you could. Like they're still, I feel like they're on a budget when they're putting that that TKS system and and certifying that Cirrus for no nice versus like a King Air that's more of like it's in it's like they're on one thirty five certificates. They're being used for charter. They're it's built for a lot more demanding um, flight profiles than the Cirrus is. I think one hundred percent agree with you. But let's maybe back it down. I know we want to talk about you know the King Air because we all have a lot of experience with them. But what if we back it down to something you know that's more attainable? Because I, I referenced the two hundred thousand dollar number, you know, which obviously doesn't apply to a King Air unless it was absolute junk and doesn't have engines on it. But I mean, talk about a, a you know um, a Baron. A Cessna 310, something a little bit more attainable. There's a lot of them out there. Something more attainable. Is Do you feel the same margin? Like the statement you made about, you know, I would feel much more comfortable in the King Air. You, you, you can get a Baron, was it the G58 brand new 
built out, I think right now for like a little over a million dollars. Right. And that's obviously certified no nice. Yeah. Somewhere around in there. Um, I would, I would probably feel a little more comfortable in that because it's, it's a twin, but I, I still wouldn't feel as comfortable as like a King air or, or obviously something that was like a jet. Which yeah. we're we're gonna go through last yeah, after the yeah, yeah. after the turboprop. Okay. Um just that would mainly I'd I'd put it in a similar category as a Cirrus, where it's technically certified no nice and it's it's got a lot of capability compared to like obviously a non certified no nice plane. But I still feel like it's just over a million dollars US for a new one that's still not a lot in the budget to just make that a incredibly robust airplane. Um, versus like a King Air. Yeah. So what, oh, okay. So, okay. So I I feel, I mean, I feel like this has been a productive that I asked this question. So we've said that a Cirrus is a, kind of an entry level, no icing airplane, I guess is how I would say that. Yeah. It's, I don't want to like, I don't want to kind of like, you know, pop anybody's balloon that bit just paid a ton of money for one. No, I, I'm a, I'm, but, I like the Cirrus. I've actually, I've, I think like, an hour and one. And I remember it being extraordinarily comfortable, like the joystick, the way they put it with your hand. It's, it's incredible. Um, I, I'd like to ergonomics. They definitely thought about it. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible airplane. I just, I just wouldn't want to go fly it. In no icing conditions, even if it's certified, <laughs> it's just yeah, not yeah. my personal, much, you get too much ice on it though. You can always just pull that chute. If I had the money, <laughs> that's true. That well, that's, I mean, that's just, that's what people are thinking when they're buying this. I can have the complexity and all the operating expense of a twin, or I can buy a Cirrus, save myself $500,000 over that Baron, and all I got to do is pull a chute. Right. Get in <laughs> trouble, pull a chute. That's it. How? I mean, if we factor that in, and for the purpose of this conversation, how, you know, where do we rank that? Does that change things? Is that a is that a valid excuse for lack of capability? No, I, but in people's I mean, minds, I, li- it would be. I like that. I I would like having that option, but I I'm I don't think that's going to f- factor into my my aeronautical decision making process. That like that doesn't change like like I'm doing the not that I do the charts, but more common sense. But they have the charts. Let's say we we do it and. uh like I'm not going like, oh, that's an extra two points because it's got to shoot. I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm assuming it's not there uh, during the planning stage, and then if I'm up there, I'd, I'd probably be happy it's there if mm-hmm. it got to that last resort. But no, yeah. I, that's not really a factor for me as far as for the most part. I don't want to drop this. I want. I want to keep things going. I don't want to drop this because because there is we've we've hit on when we talked about you know uh, medicals, basic med. That kind of comes along with the overall. When we look at general aviation as a whole, we're 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 we're, we're looking at a a certain you know certificate level kind of and. I mean, that's not all multi-engine pilots. So I'm, I was kind of, dri- I assume we're all driving at the fact, you know, we want a couple engines. We want excess power. You know, we want a proven platform. Um, And, you know, personally, if, I don't if, want something. If the, bu- that, if the budget is there, yeah. Of course. But everybody, in the, if, if we can say anything about aviation, 
people are always going to try and buy a bigger airplane than they maybe should. So if if we if we're backing it down and talking about operating cost and we're talking about all these things that factor into your purchasing decision, people are always going to try and get the best they can. Now maybe um conservatism maybe plays into it and they're like, okay, I can't get that Baron, but I can get a Cirrus. So now I am known icing, but I have a shoot. Where does that factor in? That's what I would do. I just wouldn't go flying it in like heavier icing situations. I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm certified known ice. I can go. It doesn't matter. It would still, like icing would very much uh, be a consideration when I'm flight planning versus if we were talking, we'll get to as like our fourth example, uh, like a jet. That's obviously a lot less of a factor icing when you're when you're flight planning yeah uh, just because of the capabilities of that's the the next step beyond like a twin turboprop is a is a twin jet and yeah. those are obviously like icing's not not usually an issue when you're as long as all the systems are working it's not a, it's like a non-factor for the most part well, when you're talking about these smaller we we're talking about these ga planes even getting up to like the baron it's a twin, you know, million dollar airplane. It's still icing. I would consider very much uh, something I'm interested in, and it is a factor on my go no go decision of whether I do a flight. And so th- I think that was my main point with the Cirrus is like the known icing. If I was building a Cirrus, ordering a Cirrus, I'd probably put that on it just because I, I would prefer having it versus not having it on my Cirrus that I'm ordering. Mm-hmm. And uh, But it's it wouldn't eliminate, it wouldn't mitigate uh, icing a whole lot in my mind uh, versus like something like a King Air. Scott, I mean, you want to weigh in on, on that there, kind of like what he just said? Because I, yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, I have a response. I'm driving at something here. I would still consider like, if, I don't know if I, if I had a Cirrus or something like that, I probably wouldn't fly into known icing if I could avoid it. So you it's know. known icing equipped. You paid a hundred thousand dollars extra would, for the still, TKS system. I would still avoid known icing. I mean, unless it was, you know, at least, at least heavier known icing anyway. I mean, maybe if it was light, I wouldn't worry too much, but Okay. Well, so my, get all on big picture. What I'm getting at is there are guys that are saying, I don't have a multi. I got a private pilot and an instrument rating. I got a lot of money. And these Cirruses look good. Why can't it says it's equipped for no nicing? Why can't I go fly that in there? Why can't I, why can't I go fly that? No, no, you can. can. I, I just said, I got I, these. Well, fine letter of the law, you can. But we have yeah. three of us very experienced pilots right here, and I, I guess I haven't I haven't weighed in on it like you guys just have. But I we got three of us now. I'm saying now that that is not something I'd want to do. That is an emergency only. That is what that's for. Yes, it is no icing equipped. So you go do your pre-flight planning. You see, hey, there's icing out there. Oh, that's the altitude I want to fly at. Oh, I'm good. I got TKS system. So that is, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm illegal. I'm legal to go. That's what the final letter of the law says. But we have three of us as experienced pilots, and we're all, uh, you know, I don't know varying I, backgrounds. I don't know if I'd call me experienced, but. 
you have superb aeronautical decision making and superb pilot and stick and rudder skills. So that's what I'm going with here. Okay. So, anyways, anyways, um, we're all in agreement that we would not take this airplane there unless it was an inadvertent account encounter. So, what do I guess? I mean, you have somebody who's coming to you for advice to say, "Hey, this is what I want to buy. This is what I want to go do with it." How do you, like, what do you do? Say, no, get a used Baron. Get a, a, you know, a 1970 something Baron for that same price point. I know you can afford. Depends on what kind of, what what they need to do for their flying. Do they need to be going into known icing all the time? But nobody is ever going to say that they don't, they don't need to do. I mean, most people like the, the person who is buying a brand new Cirrus. Well, I don't want to generalize too much, but I guess we can do that here. It's our thing. But the people buying this brand new Cirrus with TKS and it's a turbo Cirrus and all this stuff, they have these grandiose ideas. They're going to fly cross country at, you know, 11,000 feet or 10,000 feet. And they think they're going to go do college visits and they're going to do all these different things. They're going to sit in icing for three hours straight. And thank God we got TKS. So just press the button and the ice is gone. Yeah, until you run out of fluid. So you run out of fluid, and that's one reason I don't like the system. I don't know. I don't know how much they it hold. has other advantages. Well, I don't know either, and I don't know how much they use per hour of using it continuously. I, think, I don't I think know they're only any good of that. For like a couple hours of ice. Well, and that well, yeah. I mean, that kind of makes sense. I mean, you, I, we'll see in a lot uh, in a king air. You're not going to sit in icing for two hours. You're going to be above it. You're going to plan to be above it, and that is. That is not a function necessarily of the airplane, but that is a function of the, I don't want to say the caliber of pilot flying it, but that is the assumption is that the person flying a King Air is maybe a professional or has some time under their belt, has some experience under their belt to make a decision. I don't want to go sit in moderate icing conditions for two hours. I'm just not going to do that. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, my goal is not. Yeah, I have an airplane that's capable of dealing with moderate icing for indefinitely, but my goal is not to go sit in that. Well, I guess so, a big factor is a, a King Air is obviously going to be able to go above it in most cases, as where a Cirrus probably can't. And that's it. And if it has an inadvertent encounter, this King Air can climb out of it or I'm out of it. Do what it needs get to out do. of it faster. Yeah, holds holds enough gas that it can divert around an icing, you know, isolated icing. If they're looking at pilot reports, whatever. So yeah, there's a lot of considerations. I know we've derailed, and I apologize for derailing. But no, no, it's, good. it's just interesting when Rob and all three of us echo the same exact situation or the same stance on an aircraft type. That yeah, fine letter of the law, it's certified for known icing. Who am I to maybe second guess what the FAA says? all the exhaustive certification they've gone through to determine that, yeah, this thing's good. And all here we are, all three of us, you know, saying, I'd rather have, you know, a a Baron than, uh, we'd rather have a a 1975 Baron. That's what I'm saying. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm uh, overstepping my bounds here. I might choose choose the brand new Cirrus over that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, I think you. You're I can do firewall like, forward like on said, that, Baron. I, you almost I, always I like safer this. with twin engine, especially yeah, if I've, you 
accumulating ice, you're still, you know, you got an extra power to get out of it. Well, you got to think in 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 a Baron, I can have two. I can have six hundred and twenty horsepower. That Cirrus only has three hundred and ten. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're hauling around more airplane. Yes, and if that engine were to fail, yeah, you're 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 in your detriment. You're in a you're in you're in the red now. But you need the engine to fail in order to be in the red. If if that engine doesn't fail, you're way in the black. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. No, yeah. I like the Cirrus. As I would, if I got a Cirrus, I'd probably want it loaded, and I want the no nice. Just so if I do have an encounter like that, or if it's like might be light icing, like, but probably not. Like you can still do the flight in the Cirrus. Um, I just. Oh, so now you're changing your tune, though. What do you mean? It was in an inadvertent account encounter a minute ago. And well, it's it, it, well, well, Scott said it okay. Scott said invert. I never really weighed in on that. Yeah, I, mean, I would I would okay. I would I would not want to get into an icing situation in a Cirrus, even though it's certified no nice, but I would probably it it would affect my decision a little bit in probably some situations, okay. but okay. most situations would probably uh, still be very much a factor whether there's icing. I gotcha. I got you. I, I think that's reasonable. I think that uh, is pretty much my stance. Um, more engine, more horsepower is probably one of the best solutions to any to, to icing situations in general. Okay, let's so. go. Let's go on to more power then. Uh, let's let's talk King Air. What kind of like that's a plane? I said like half an hour ago. Um, I'd be very comfortable uh, going into like known icing conditions. For the most part, uh, in in a in a King Air, what what systems does that have? Uh, other than just the ability to go above it in most situations, which is obviously the huge factor is never uh, being the ice in the first place. It's got pneumatic boots, right? Air, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, what are pneumatic boots? If well, it's okay. It's it's a rubber boot on the leading edges that pump air into it with a compressor and it expands it. And as it expands, obviously the ice is going to crack, come off. Uh, so it's not, it's not slinging alcohol out on the wings. No, nope. It's changing the, it's expanding the size of the leading edge, which cracks the ice. Uh, you know, it's, there's some disadvantages to it and some advantages, but it's works pretty effectively. As far as I know, I've never, yeah. I've never used one. But Lee, how, yeah, how, I haven't what's either. The, no, no, I've yeah. I've never used I've never used anything but bleed air. Um, uh, oh, I didn't know that. Leading edges. I've I've heard that boots. I've heard that it it uh, can increase your stall speed when it's expanded because it changes the the uh, aerodynamic characteristics of the leading edge well it certainly does i mean because i mean you got to remember the uh, the reason ice is a problem is because it's disrupting the airflow and the boots do do that but i'm um, obviously they're certified and that's okay. yeah and I, I think it'd but, be a pretty minimal change but well no. but i mean who knows and i'm sure in the poh or the uh what pilots operating handbook or the aeronautical or the um airplane f- i'm sorry 
approved flight manual, AFM, for that specific airplane would detail all that for you. Weight. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Um, and it would tell you kind of what your stall speed increase would be for you to fly for your final approach speeds whenever it gets critical. Um, but remember, it's cycles, you know, so right. you might be in between cycles, all kinds of stuff, because it, you know, it's got to expand, you know, and to pop the ice off. And then, of course, it's going to retract. It's going to deflate let the ice form at that newer, smaller radius or however you want to describe it, that lower surface volume, surface area, and then it will inflate again to pop the ice off. So, you know, it's going to cycle. And, you know, because, again, that would be very taxing on the engines, you know, to continually, you know, keep doing it. So it's probably going to alternate left and right or something like that. I don't know. I don't know that much about it. I've never flown anything that has the de-icing boots. Um very prevalent though it must work they must um, have an so aircraft in the aircraft somewhere that just no no that's off well in, in most of these airplanes so go bleed ahead air. yeah bleed air yeah. from the engines yeah so it's very similar to the heated leading edges in the transport category stuff you know where you're just tapping air the hot air off the engine and just running out through these you know called piccolo tubes that heat that leading edge you know, so you're doing a similar thing. You're just routing it through some valves, getting it out to the wing, and it's going to just flow and ex- and expand. Still going to tap off engine power, though. Yeah. How it works in a piston airplane, like a like a um, uh, Baron. Yeah. I got to be it, honest with you. They, I do they, not know how that works. Air, a small air compressor in there, I assume. It's, I yeah. I mean, it's got to be something like that, unless maybe only turbocharged models have it. Yeah, I know. I know the, the Baron. The Barons have the boots. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they pressurize the boots, though. I never thought about that. I assume what did you say, Scott? I, I assume it's just a small air compressor in there. The small air compressor doesn't weigh that much. I don't, I don't really know. That's just my assumption. Well, and you got to think it's such a small amount of area. When you look at how when if you look at them inflated, it's not like you're blowing up an inner tube to go float on a lake no. with. It's a very small area, very high PSI, small area. It's so almost, it wouldn't take much of a compressor at all to. It's inflate. almost within the boot. There's all these little lines, and it's just it creates all these little ridges, like chambers, like yeah, chambers. It's, it's chambers. Yeah. yeah, and then it's but so it's not like inflating the entire boot. It's just inflating little lines across the entire boot. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah. Very then, effective, though. The Kingers have the heated windshields, though, when they're certified no ice, correct? On the at least on the captain side, I know on the two hundred. I, be- I believe that you have to have for for no icing. I believe you have to have uh, a, a heated windshield. Okay, for no icing. So that, we're that talking like on, we're talking like on a Cirrus. We're thinking it. Does that have to have a heating element in the thing then if it's certified well, no nice or I guess that's true but uh, I mean yeah you know going back to that as long but if they can prove that hey to this temperature so remember if they put this thing in a wind tunnel and they say hey this defrost system or this bleeder system or this alcohol system will keep this windscreen frost or uh, uh, ice free to this temperature they can always throw in the approved flight manual or the pilot's operating handbook. They can always throw in there the limitation for temperatures. Yeah. 
And that kind of legally says, hey, it's a limitation on the airplane. If some you crack this thing up because you flew at negative 40 and we only certified it to negative 48 or 38, that's, that's a limitation on the airframe. So they can do that. If the defrost can keep up or whatever the situation is on the Cirrus or the Cessna TTX, the single, I guess we're kind of driving at single engine, uh, no nice equipped airplanes. Um, and, and I don't have that. I don't have any experience with those. I mean, I'm just going with yeah. what I know, what I've seen, what I've heard. The King Air, you know, it's the captain's side on the 200 is glass and then the other side that 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 glass has the heating element in it and then the yeah. co-pilot side the right half of the windshield is acrylic and that doesn't have any de-icing capability yes and so. that that is that is that concept is um i don't want to say common but that concept works out you know the the uh, lear 31a that is similar situation a totally different D or anti-icing functions between the left and right sides as well. And it's just like, that doesn't really work with, if you were to go build an airplane today, that certification standard wouldn't work out anymore because everybody's equally certified to fly the airplane, you know, because of Congress. But uh, back in the day, like, oh, if you're in the left seat, you're the captain, you know, you're the best thing there ever has been in aviation. So they would sacrifice a lot on the right side just so the left side would be able to see out the window when nowadays we don't really look at it that way anymore. Everybody needs to be equally uh, in that seat needs to be set up so they can equally fly the airplane. Yeah. Uh, due to incapacitation or whatever the case may be. But yeah, so that that's a good point. I forgot that about the King area. The left side has the heating element embedded in the glass to keep it, yeah, to keep it warm. And that's how, you know, several um, airliners I've flown have been certified as well with the heating element. Okay. So, so let's, let's go with like, obviously this is pretty extreme, but like a King Air 200 versus a Cirrus certified no nice DPS. How about we talking about a B200? <laughs> Um, so we go B200. What's the difference between a regular 200 and a B200? Who knows? Who cares? <laughs> okay, so is it only boots, heated glass windshield, and the ability to climb out of it? Is that like when we break it down? Is that really the only thing more that that plane has over the, the Cirrus, or is there other stuff like? I can't think of. I mean, that's a really good question. And there are people that have been in this purchasing decision. I've got X amount of money, 600,000, 800,000. There was a time when you could buy a King Air for $800,000. Yeah. I'm sure there's still some out there like that. I mean, maybe they're not a hundred percent airworthy by most standards, but you know, it looks like it could be or should be or whatever. The paperwork says that it is. Yeah, you got to really boil it down. You got to really boil it down. So when we look at, so the analogy we made earlier, we talked about uh, Cirrus, single engine piston. Then we went to uh, Baron, which is twin engine piston. So maybe marginally, the three of us are agreeing, we are marginally more comfortable with that than we were with the Cirrus. A little but bit then, more, but not a whole lot. Not a whole opinion. lot. Yeah, I mean, assign a percentage to it. I don't know, 20% more, yeah. 30% more. I don't know. And then 
you know, we make this kind of exponential jump to the king air, right? From the baron to the king air is an exponential jump. Yeah. So we got to boil this down. Like, so the baron has boots. The king air has boots. <laughs> the baron has two engines. The king air has two engines. So we're boiling it down in like, what is it? Is that just kind of like a Jedi mind trick? Like, hey, the king air. Well, that's a kind of a business airplane. That thing can go almost, you know, well, I don't want to say almost coast to coast. That would be like take like a King Air 350 extra uh, ER. But yeah. back in the day, it can go, you know, nonstop a thousand miles. So is it just our perceptions that are influencing yeah, that? You know, what we mostly in your head just because it's a it's a bigger airplane. It's it's more. Well, don't discount the turboprop, the piston. Well, versus the, yeah, the turbine. yeah, that's true. But I, just, yeah, I think much more comfortable with a turbine than a piston running. Well, yeah, well yeah. yeah, because having two turbine engines is like having four piston engines, really. You know, and, and here's the thing, too. If that one engine fails on the piston airplane, chances are you probably already have the other throttle all the way already maxed out. Any, like on takeoff, for example, you already yeah. have that that throttle firewalled for the, mo- you know, for the most part in a turbine engine. You're on takeoff. You're not. It's not full throttle. If you need to clear those trees or clear that hill or clear that building in a turbine-powered airplane, push that knob up more. The power is there. The power is there to make more. Unless it has FADEC or something like that, and and we can get into a bunch of different stuff. But in a King Air, it doesn't have FADEC. Um, um, you you always have more power available to you. You may grenade an engine. You may do internal damage to that engine, but there's more power available. If one engine were to fail, you need that extra power, which which means you were taken off from the wrong place to begin with. Yeah, it's not it's not so much icing, but when you're well dealing with that stuff at altitude, it's no, no, no. It, well, it is icing. You're taken off in the icing conditions, and you're already tapping power off the engine, and then you lose an engine. You need that extra power. Okay. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. That is something we consider all the time. So I was just taking off from Eagle the other day, uh, yesterday, and we had uh, there was a snow salt moving in from the west. We're taking off to the west, so it's a moving in from the west. So it's kind of coming to meet us, and uh, I uh, made the determination that by the time we will encounter the icing conditions, we were in the clear where we were in the immediate air, uh, vicinity of the airport. So this we're talking about any airplane now. So I'm not trying to be too far off on a tangent, but this is a realistic example. We have icing additions coming to meet us. We're taking off. We could have had any ice on from the beginning. Well, we needed two minutes prior to takeoff. We need to have it on, which we didn't. But we talked about it. I briefed it, and I said, I am not going to turn on the anti-ice because that is going to, of course, well, it may have told us that, hey, you don't, you can't take off from this runway anymore. But let's say, let's say we were still good it would have inhibited our climb performance. And then that would have been the limiting factor, especially if we would have uh, shelled an engine. You know what I'm saying? If we had the anti-ice on, because it's tapping off. Because remember, now you're heating two wings and one of the cowls. So you got a lot of bleed air. It, it, I can't even describe to you how much performance this sucks off the engines. Because we constantly, or very routinely, we're taking off, we're climbing out, we encounter different icing layers. Anti-ice is on. You can just see the airspeed bleed when you turn that on. You got to 
quick, not, I don't want to say quickly, but you have to very much so change your uh, rate of climb if you want to keep a consistent airspeed or vice versa. It's a lot of power that it sucks off the engines. So you don't want to degrade that. And that is something that I think when I start thinking about turbine engines, you have the reserve power. You may create some engine damage, but that's better than hitting the side of that mountain. So, so you that's bleed air right now. That's the system. That, that That's a good, that, yeah, this is a good lead in for like beyond twin turbo prop um, to explain what you were flying yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a perfect lead in um, because um, yeah, I mean, I'm correlating, you know, how the anti system in the boot situation or anything that's really tapping off the engines. So that's your um, turbine turbine engines, and, we, and we've discussed that we don't know how the barren situation because we, we know it has de ice boots, um, or pneumatic boots. I should say pneumatic boots. We don't know exactly how those work. We don't have experience with those airplanes. Um, the King Air, we know it's tapping off bleed air, so we know that's robbing some power from the engines. Similar to what I'm flying now, it's a heated leading edge, heated, um, you know, with bleed air. Um, so is the horizontal stabilizer. Um, and the, uh, go ahead. How does that work? Does it pull hot air off the exhaust and run it along the leading no, edge? No, it's not off the exhaust. It's off the, uh, the, uh, um, turbine sections. Okay. The hot section. We got, we got multiple, multiple stages that, that tap off for various, uh, appliances. Cause you can remember, the bleed air operates our heating, cooling, the anti-ice, all that pressurization. All of that comes off the engines. There's okay. no, there's no pumps. You know, it's all, it's all off the engines. I mean, for the, is this, through the form of bleed air. Is that how it always is, or is this specific to the type? No, it's, yeah, it's all that's all jets that I know of. Okay, the four different ones that I've flown are all the same. Don't uh, most so, most airliners use like heated surface, right? Electric, electrically? No, it's bleed air. It's bleed air. No, as we were okay. talking about. Yeah, it's all bleed air. Okay, they're just they're just throwing hot air from the the jet engines right into the the wings, and they yep. duck they duck that air out into the the whole wing, so it's just too warm for ice to land on. Correct. Yep. Yeah, and that and that's why you have a reduction in power is because you're tapping air off the engine. Yeah. So that would inhibit, you know, so if you take off with anti-ice on off the runway, it significantly changes the amount of performance available. So that, that could stop you from on one day. If I mean, it's it's same temperature, same everything. The only difference you make is that you have anti-ice on. It could say, hey, you can't take off from this airport today. And yep. that, that kind of situation I was painting with, with uh, Eagle yesterday is... You know, if we could have, and I, I didn't run the numbers that way. Um, that's kind of, uh, it, the weather was forecast to be good, so I don't even run the numbers that way. Um, I'd only run the numbers of, you know, 10, 15 minutes before we actually just taxied out. So it was accurate, you know, for, for our takeoff time. Um, but it was very possible that at that altitude uh, and weight that is said you can't, you can't take off. So that's a consideration, you know, when you're trying to do, you know, in transport category airplanes uh, where you take a lot more runway to take off than you do in a, uh, let's say, a King Air, for example. 
you know, in a jet, you just use a lot more runway and that's just the way it is. But not only does it inhibit how much runway you're going to use, but it inhibits your climb performance after takeoff. So if you're going to be tapping and uh, power off that engine and to run these anti-ice systems, whether it be a King Air or any form of jet that uses all the heated surfaces, the heating, uh, the heated leading edges, um, that's all, that's all power. That's all power and it inhibits every, every segment of the takeoff, you know, from the moment brakes released all the way through rotation, climb out all the different segments. So you got to factor it in, especially when you have rising terrain around you. So that's why uh, the King Air, and that's kind of what I'm thinking. You have a little more reliability in the turbine engine. You have a little bit of excess thrust. Um, but since I'm not that familiar with the Baron, how it's inflating those boots, that that's 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 my that's my thought. I think I feel more comfortable with the King Air than the smaller stuff. But you're obviously then the Baron, yeah. Then the Baron, just with the turbine. I know if I can an engine, which first off I'm less likely to do because it's turbine. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So there's that, and then if I do, I know that remaining engine I do have, I might destroy in the process. But if that mountain is coming up, I can always push that power lever a little further forward and get and clear that, or give myself the best chance to clear that. Versus a piston that's basically maxed out from the first minute. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then obviously the jet. So what's making the jet then overall way better than the King Air? Like a Learjet. Well, I guess I wouldn't necessarily say that it's the fact that it's a jet, but I would say, well, a little bit. You don't have a prop. So from a reliability standpoint, you do have less moving parts because you don't have a prop and a prop governor and all those various things. That's one. Um uh, two, I wouldn't say that it has anything inherently to do with the fact that it's a jet, but it's the fact that it's a leading edge instead of a de-ice boot. Over time, you, you, all three of us, I think, have stripped and reprepped these de-ice boots. Yes. Yep. And, well, first off, that job sucks completely. <laughs> but on top of that, you're kind of subject to, to the quality of that boot. All right. If there's pinholes in it. Right. Yeah. Rubber's not going to well, last. I mean, so. Yeah. The UV, the UV rays you, break it. Down. Right. Every time you expand it and contract it, you know, a little, eventually it's going to crack, you know. Eventually. Yep. And it's only a matter of time. And those cold. Or you get, or you get frustrated people working on your planes and they're just like, screw it. Let's use Dawn power dissolver on it today. Yeah, get that get that stuff off. Don Power <laughs> does less, does work better than the boot stripper. <laughs> Let's turn this four out. I don't know. I have. What, Lee? You're cutting out. I just said, let's turn this four hour job into a half hour job. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Load it up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. So you're subject to those limitations, um, and you know. If they're maintained, if the boots are maintained, which obviously should be kind of a standard, that should go without saying, but that isn't always the case. We should expect them to be airworthy, but I've never seen boots inflated on an annual inspection. I don't know about you guys. I don't think I've, I've, never, seen, I've um, never seen them inflated. So 
I mean, that, that, that's, my, that's my consideration. So the inherent difference that I see for when you kind of jump from the King Air or anything of that segment up into a transport category jet, I look at the fact that I have a stainless steel or whatever in canal, whatever they are, leading edge that is not going to develop pinholes. It doesn't need, you know, prepped and, and scrubbed and all these different things to keep it massaged. Op- yeah. Optimal. Oil. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's basically the equivalent, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have any of those. It is consistent amount of anti-icing performance and needs it's, almost no attention. It's less, well, there's less moving parts. Uh, yeah, you got the valves on the engine, which you would have anyways in the de-icing boots and on top, on, and then there's nothing else. After that, there's, there's nothing really to work and inflate and degrade and, and all that. It's, it's just the valves release and the air goes out and fills the channels out into the wing and does what it's supposed to do. Does what it's supposed to do. Unless, um, as long as your engine's still running, as long as the turbine's still running, it's going to be hot air, really hot air coming out of there. And there's enough off of one engine to supply both wings and the engine that is running. So if you lose one engine, you still have enough bleed air to power to heat both wings and the operating engine. Okay. It's set does, up that way. Does that have a heating element in the windshield then? Yeah, these these have a heating element. Yeah, the Lear thirty the Lear thirty one A has a uh, um it has the bleed air. It has, some, it has electric. Well, I guess that's more of the defog function. Yeah, because they break it down weird. Because that's an older airplane. But yeah, we have we have an, an um we have an an electric element. And all the the transport category the the CRJ the Embraer and the the Lear forty that I'm flying now uh, they are all an electric element in the wind in the windscreen, just like okay. the King Air has on the left side. Okay. And obviously, we won't even mention pedo heat. I'm sure the pedo heat's heated. Is there any? What else de-icing does that plane have? Um, I think that's pretty much. So all our probes, you know. So yeah, like you said, all the all the external probes, you know, as far as pedo heat, the ice detector probes, those are all heated. Um, what we do have, um, or what we did have in the CRJ to kind of keep it with this transport category topic. Um, it had a um, heated like water drains because remember those had you know two lavatories and all that kind of stuff potable water on board. So when you flush that toilet or when you you know vent something overboard, it has to have heated drains and you know stuff like that. So um, that I would not have thought of. Toilets not toilets the wrong example because that's not true. Those don't go overboard anymore. But for like potable water, like when you wash your hands or something like that. Like in the sink, that is like gray water, whatever. Uh, those are heated drains. Yeah, so they don't they don't dump the dookie out on over the no. the fruited plains anymore. No, no. What about if you're over the ocean? You still can't dump. I it. would assume. I would assume that they're all. Well, they don't know. Remember that whatever that airplane is doing transcontinental flights too. Yeah. So they're not going to have the same airplane. No, you know. About, so you your know. your gray water, like your sink water, does that get dumped out? Very off topic, but I'm just curious. That no, no, that's what I just said, and I yeah. I believe that's the only one that does get vented overboard because that's just by the time it reaches the ground, it's going to have turned into uh, oh, yeah, solid precipitation yeah. and completely, yeah. yeah, 
there's yeah. nothing to it. And it's, I mean, I don't know if gray water is the right term. I just made that up because I've heard that before. But yeah, it's hardly dirty compared to human excrement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, so yeah. that's not a biological health hazard, you know, by comparison. But I know, bottom line, I know there's heated drains, water drains on the bottom of the airplane for in-flight use so it doesn't freeze up. Hmm. So you said you got ice yesterday. So let's get into like, we'll end with that. Um, we'll go back to Cessna 150. Scott, you're flying your 150, you're doing everything to avoid it, but somehow you've got ice building up and you look out, you see your wing strut is just taking on ice. What do you do? Just immediately land in the nearest field, like farm field, roadway, anything. Just put that plane. Pull the chute immediately. You're just, the chute. I, you're just actually, putting it down. I, I might just bail out. Just wish you had a Cirrus and pull the chute. <laughs> no, I don't. You know, in reality, what I would do is, uh, if I was near an airport, I would land. Uh, if I was not near an airport, I would. If I knew my weather surroundings i would try to fly out of it in a direction of a near airport okay so you got you got you got ice on your wing you got ice on your wing now what are you doing differently on your landing what are you worried about on the landing is it just a normal Uh, landing as soon as possible or i would uh i would keep my airspeed up a little higher than normal your your stall speed is going to be increased i would assume yeah obviously yep uh so i would i would Obviously, I'm when I'm coming across the threshold, I'm going to be at a higher airspeed than I normally would be. I probably wouldn't use flaps until I needed to, you know. I probably wouldn't use them at all if unless I needed to. Uh, so, you know, if I'm all right, obviously I'm coming in a little bit faster. So if I'm at a short runway and I know that I have you the picked wrong, the wrong runway, well, I mean, you don't have a lot of options. You got ice building up. <laughs> not gonna pick I'm not gonna fly further into a longer runway. <laughs> See hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So if we back this up, you know you're picking up ice, it doesn't seem to be getting better. So you're continuing picking up, you know, whatever, a decent amount of ice. At least you're you're concerned enough that you're diverting. Yeah. Right? You're doing something different right. because you're concerned about the amount of ice you're picking up. So you're gonna pick the closest semi let's call it semi suitable runway that's pretty short pretty short yeah okay and it's so it's 150 i don't you, know how short it is i'm gonna stop okay well let's see how you feel after the end of my my uh scenario here okay. so you're saying we picked this short runway mm, let's call it 2500 feet yeah. somewhere around in there okay something short, you know though. to a 150 well, yeah, I'm a, I'm aware. I'm aware. I'm but, gonna, I'm, gonna so, get, I'm more worried about how bored I'm going to be taxiing all the way in. Man. <laughs> yeah, you would you would be. You would be. Can I at least play with my phone while I taxi in or, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, you've you, you've picked that runway, that airport. Weather's good there. You're still picking up ice. You're concerned. You're on final. And you're, mm, you're debating whether you need to put flaps in or not. And you're like pretty sure that you need to. 
Like, man, I'm high. Oh, man, I'm high. So now you're debating between, can I put in flaps or I go around? I put in flaps. I'm not going around. If I'm in you, I'm not going around. Yeah, wrong. Unless I have to, but... No, you're 100% wrong. So is it better to not know how that ice is going to affect the air, the aerodynamics and then well, you just stall? Slam the flaps on all at once. I'm going to put a little bit on. You don't know what it's doing. You're yeah. a test pilot, dude. Yeah. Go off the end of the runway at 10 miles an hour. Don't stall at 60. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well, no, no, no. Don't well. So does that oh, no have flap. any merit no to flap. it or not? All right. All right. I promise you, if I get into ice, I will never use my flaps. <laughs> I will break the flap switch off just so, so that hold I can use it. Get another one coming from Spruce. Yeah. Don't be tempted. I, I Don't will be tempted. I will, I'll just Scott, I'll, Scott I'll buy push, it. Go, push go it online. Flaps off. That way I can't use it, even if my brain tells me to use it. Just I will not use the flap. Off. Yep. Order, gonna, order a yeah, new yeah. switch from Spruce right now so that you know in your mind you already I'm have going. the new one there in your hangar. Right so you're confident yeah. that you're breaking it off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have a spare one. That I'm not going to keep the spare one in the plane because then I might be tempted to no, put it No, that'd be too, it'd be too tempting to reinstall it during the final. But I will have a spare one. And if, if I get into ice, the first, first rule number one, if you get any ice, you break the flap switch off so you're not tempted to use it. Good That's rule. A, it's a good rule. Taking the fuse out for the flaps, if you have electric, not enough. Flaps, is not enough. You could enough. just put that thing not back enough. in there. You could put it back in. I guess if you, you take it, it back out in. And, and you break the fuse, but see, then you could steal a fuse from a different fuse. So you don't want to do that. Should, should you should you carry like a like a snap on ball peen hammer just to help you with the breaking it or you, as like an emergency? So I think that I think a lot of those flaps screw on so you might want to unscrew it and throw it out the window oh, because it, okay if you if you break it off there might still be a little bit that you could grab onto there i don't uh, yeah i don't know i'll have to look at it but i will definitely remove the flap switch if i get into ice let's ruin that temptation does that, does that make you feel better <laughs> i feel much better so so i have just Gone on aircraft spruce, and I got a uh, carburetor heat cable and a flap switch coming. So that well, you got on the you got on the they're sending you one every month now with the carb heat, right? Yeah, I'm subscribed. Yeah. Okay. As much as you're flying that thing right now, it would take you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I only need one of you at this rate. Uh, so yeah. no, so hold on. So we went and flew, you know, what a month ago. And, and there's some crosswind, and you like that you don't <laughs> want to use any flaps then. And no, now I, we're talking about ice, which is a completely experimental I, I, situation. I You're like, oh, flaps? I needed it. You're, okay, you had a tw- yeah. Well, if okay, it's probably if an I'm, not crosswind. If I'm, if I'm if I'm too hot and I'm ten feet off the runway, but this plane just just does not want to stop, and the end of the runway is coming up too hot. What? Hold, oh no, hold on. You you're painting a terrible scenario. Okay. How did you get to be running out of runway and you're ten feet off the runway right now? That means you committed to land to I mean, that was a situation. Because I pushed the airplane to the ground. Which is what not what you're supposed to do, but No, not what you're supposed to do. Okay, so you're t- you, so okay. So yeah. I push it to the ground because I have ice and I'm panicked and I'm an inexperienced pilot with ice, so I panic. I just want to get the plane on the ground. I'm coming in hot. 
I'm floating along the runway because I'm airspeed's still too high. Power's off. I'm only 10 feet off the ground. Dump the flaps in. The worst case scenario is I drop 10 foot. I in that scenario, I would I would agree with you. Thank you. I'm glad that we see the same way now. A 10, 10 feet off the ground is different than doing it from 150 but feet. Problem though. is now is which is, when, problem which now is, is when you should. Problem is now back up, back up, because I broke the flap switch off. Now what do I do? Oh. Well, looks like I'm going into the trees at the end of the runway. It's better to do that at 10 miles an hour than to land yeah. 10 feet short of the runway at 60 miles an hour. Yeah. All right, Lee. What would you do in this situation? You got you. You're on the weekend. You're in the 150. You're like, oh my gosh, I don't have bleed air. I don't have, you know, I don't have anything. I'm in a 150. My seat's uncomfortable. I have no shoulder harness. There's no pressurization. No flight attendant. No, no, no heated seat. How many bad decisions that I make to get myself in this piece of shit? So you somehow you went from a leer to this piece of junk and now you're taking on ice. What do you do? Um, so I'm in route. I'm going somewhere. Whatever, whatever you want to paint. Well, I mean, I'm just trying to keep it kind of linear with what Scott was saying. Uh, I've encountered an inadvertent icing encounter and I'm in a non icing, uh, equipped airplane. I have limited power, limited reserve power to get myself out of that situation. Typically, you want to climb because it's cooler above. That would theoretically, you know, the standard is two degrees Celsius per thousand feet. So those are things. This would probably blow people's mind and you guys would probably call me out on it. But those are things I think about when I'm going to go fly these airplanes now. I've just kind of become so conservative and concerned about the lack of performance and lack of capability that I do think about. Am I going to get ice? What what do I do? How close am I to the icing temperature? What altitude do I need to be at that the whatever uh, precipitation there is will already be frozen? That is something I do think about. I've got flown into snowstorms, squalls, whatever, um, like little you know isolated squall flurries. I get flurries is what the word I'm looking for. Um, I've flown into those in the in a 150. And I've flown into them in, you know, archers and Cherokees and all these other things. Um, and it, it is concerning when you're used to an airplane that has a lot more capability and you just don't even think about that. Um, but in this scenario, I am trying to go somewhere, kind of like cross-country type situation. Start picking up uh, ice um, that I didn't expect. I am looking, just like Scott said, it's a perfect thing. You should kind of know where you are in relationship, you should always have your out. You should know where that next airport is. You should know the next suitable airport. And then the 150, that's pretty much anything that's on that sectional is for the most part reasonable. Yeah, even even know, fields. In, in, like oh, field. Well, that's true too. I mean, that's if you have thing. to, I mean, but, last resort, like well, if, if you, if you're in the middle of nowhere and there's not an airport for another, if you're 45 minutes away from an airport, and you're building up ice quickly. I mean, it, it's not a, it's a, it's a way out. <laughs> you know, if you're surrounded by it, yeah. you just do have to remember that when you're used to 
I'm not trying to go crazy on you guys here, but if you think, okay, the 150, you know, it's stalling at, you know, 45, uh, what is it, 50 something odd miles an hour? So 50, 50 miles an hour, let's call it. And normally you're landing into the wind, so maybe you got a five mile an hour headwind. So now your ground speed is 45 miles an hour. That's what you're used to. Now we're talking an airplane that you're landing maybe not so much into the wind because it was kind of like right in line with where you were going. And you have ice, you don't have flat. So your stall speed is already 60, not 50. You're already don't have a headwind. And on top of the fact that you don't have your flaps in and at 60, you got some ice. So call it 65, call it five miles an hour, which is conservative. So you've gone from, from 45 ground speed to potentially 75 miles an hour ground speed. Better be a smooth field. Uh, that's well, well, yeah, at that point, you're not worried about, is this airplane going to make it? Am I going to make it? That's all you care about. Right. Um, but I'm just saying that's a big difference. And I mean, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, exaggerating, but that that's the concepts you need to think about. You have a snowballing effect to all these different considerations when you're picking that farmer's field to go plop this thing down. And what worked before at 45 miles an hour ground speed, that 800 foot landing roll or less that you're used to, or that, you know, Scott and Rob, you guys are able to do routinely. Uh, the average pilot who doesn't fly or doesn't have as much time and experience under their belt as you guys that, you know, maybe doesn't fly as often either. So they're disconnected. So now we've taken, you know, the 800 foot that you guys can go routinely do at the drop of a hat. This person's, they need 2000, 3000 feet. I'd probably go more towards 3000 because you know, they're going to try and get in that field and they're going to misjudge altitude. They're going to do other the things. Sight picture is different. Sight picture is different. Yeah, because you don't have flaps. So your nose down attitude isn't going to be the same. A bunch of different considerations. You're landing somewhere completely unfamiliar. It doesn't have fixed distance markers. It doesn't have other visual cues that you're used to seeing. It may be a little hilly where most runways are not that bad. A bunch of different considerations that can snowball in what you guys can do in 500 feet. 800 feet, 1,000 feet, easy. You're going to get bored on the taxi back, like Scott was saying. That might take the average private pilot, you know, that experiences an emergency with a fresh pilot, pilot, private pilot certificate in their hand. It may take them 3,000 feet to accomplish the same thing. That makes sense. And don't even, well, and don't even, and don't even factor in density altitude. What if the same event we're talking about happens in Montana? What if it happens in Lar- Laramie, Wyoming? 7,000 feet or whatever it is there. That was probably a little bit aggressive. I don't know what Laramie is, but higher than, you know, sea level. You know what I mean? So you factor in all these things, true, true air speed, no flaps. We got ice. So our stall speed is high. Our stall speed is high. because we're no flaps. We don't have a headwind anymore. because we're just trying to get it down. Boom, 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 boom. Adrenaline. I've never seen ice before. I've never recruited ice. So it all goes on. 3,000 feet, I don't think is out of the question for a uh, uh, private pilot in, in, in a you know 150 or some light GA airplane. Makes that certified no nice Cirrus look pretty good at this point now. You, you well, just does. turn on the TKS at that point and then kind of as you're looking for your airport. 
Right. It buys you time, if nothing else. And you can, if, if, and you turn it on, you see that that ice is going away off that wing. And it is business as usual. You keep monitoring the situation as the ice accrues or doesn't accrue anymore. Maybe you climb a little bit. Maybe you descend a little bit, see if it gets worse, see if it gets better. You may get yourself that 1,000 feet, 500 feet. That might be all it needs to be to get you out of that sweet spot of, you know, temperature dew point spread and temper, you know, temperature. You could, 500 feet could be all, 200 feet could be all it takes to get you out of that sweet spot where it's accruing on your uh, surfaces and you're good. You can continue on your way. We just don't have that luxury in the 150. In the, the bottom, just like um, one of the things I, I kind of a parallel is I look at this the same way I kind of look at turbulence. If I start getting a little bit of turbulence, how bad is it going to get and how quick is it going to get bad? Same thing with the icing situation in this non-known icing equipped GA airplane. Okay, I'm getting a little bit of trace ice. Well, how bad is it going to get and how quick is it going to get bad? Things yeah. you need to think about because it can quickly spiral out of control and be well beyond the performance capability of your airplane to climb out of it or turn or whatever. So stuff you need to think about. You need to be decisive and have your, your out. You have to have your exit strategy planned when you take off. Uh, you know, if you were to inadvertently encounter some ice in a non-icing equipped airplane. So let's take this to the other extreme then. Um, you said you picked up icing in actual real life yesterday. Mm-hmm. How did that go in very, very different than a 150? You were in a, in a jet. So, you know, we live a little bit more by kind of a, um, kind of some hard and fast rules. So I, like I, I said last time, um, positive 10 total air temperature to negative 40 static air temperature. That is kind of a general in all the airplanes, the transport category category airplanes that I've flown. That is kind of what you're looking at for a temperature range um, for icing. So you have to be in visible moisture and then that temperature range. Those things combined, that is your, that's when you're going to get ice. Now it's a smaller range when you're actually going to get it, but when you're actually going to see it physically form on the airplane. But in that range is when the anti-ice should be on because it's possible, depending on the moisture content of the air mass you're flying through. So we're looking at all the time. It's just something we deal with because even in the summer above 24,000, it's always freezing. Yep. So that's the way it is. Above flight level 240, 24,000 feet, it's always freezing temperatures. So that means coming through 21, 22,000 feet and you're going through visible moisture, even in the summer, July, August, you always have to have an anti-ice on going through that air mass. If it's visible moisture going through a cloud and it's below 10 degrees total air temperature, anti-ice has to be on. So, good. You basically, you got it yesterday and it wasn't, a factor at all it didn't really change your no flight so plan at it, all no it, and, and it be, i mean we're like i said we're using anti-ice in the middle of summer when a lot of ga people aren't um so it's a fact of life when so when we know so we're putting on we enunciate it to the other crew member if we accrue ice we have ice detector on the airplanes it will enunciate on the icas 
which is engine instruments and crew alerting system on that display, it will enunciate on the ICAST ice detected. It will tell us that. And you got that yesterday. Yep. Ice detected. It'll tell us, Oh, we got a bunch of times yesterday. So uh, it'll say ice detected. We will enunciate that. So we'll say, you know, any ice coming on. Okay. That checks. There's what the other crew member would say when, and maybe in a lot of times you don't ever get ice detected. Because remember, we're going by this this definition of positive 10 TAT to negative 40 SAT. That's our definition of visible moisture. That's icing conditions. So we can turn the anti-ice on, but that doesn't mean we're, the ice detector is ever going to detect anything. That doesn't mean we're ever going to accrue anything. That's just the way it is. That is the definition we live by. And so we turn it on when those conditions are present prior, prior to entering that visible moisture with those conditions present. So we have it on. We enunciate it. Anti-ice is on. That checks. Whatever. And then if you have it detected, uh, kind of the current, you know, standard operating procedures in at this company and this airplane are, if it enunciates ice detected, we will say, uh, we got some ice or ice detected. We'll say exactly what it says. And um, it's very common. We had it multiple times. And then when the ice is no longer present, so like once we're in the clear with the anti-ice on, it's clear in a million out. There's no clouds around. It will take some time, and then it takes at least a minute. 60 seconds is typically the, the rotation or uh, when it will clear the message if you no longer have ice detected on the ice detector probe. When the message clears, we will enunciate to each other, any ice coming off, that checks, we're good. So we picked it up yesterday, and we as soon as we see it ice detected, we're looking out on the leading edge of the wing because that is our what we would call our representative surface. We can see it from the flight deck and nothing, not much out there. We're monitoring it in that kind of when it says ice detected. And as we approach kind of the terminal area around an airport to do an approach, to do a landing becomes a little bit more critical. And we're starting to think about, okay, how much am I going to pad these numbers? Like we talked about with the 150. How much am I, how much do we have? How much am I, am I going to really pad this number? So I have a good margin above my, my stall speed at this weight. So somebody, it becomes somebody's job, but I've never seen a handling difficulty. I've never had severe icing. I would say I have had moderate icing. And it all depends. It all depends. Uh, you know, obviously, I know there's definitions, um, but just kind of looking back in the past, may have had a moderate icing when I've landed. Now, this is when I've landed, when I can actually go physically go look out at the wing, see how much I have. May have had moderate icing twice, and then light icing a lot, uncountable. All I, right. I don't know, thirty times, forty times. I have no idea. So uh, yesterday I would call it ice or a light ice, light ice. I mean, really nothing that that I, we couldn't, let's put it this way. When we looked at it out the, from in flight, we were in flight. We looked out at the leading edge. Couldn't even tell that we had the ice. Is that ice detected on the ICAS? But we could not even tell that we had it. Hmm. And so of course, no handling uh, difficulties were a result of that at all. We flew, uh, we flew our approach on speed without, we didn't add any, we didn't had no additive to it for, for the ice. All right. Scott, do you have anything to add? Or? 
Uh, no, I don't know. Yeah, I, that's that's about it that I can think of at the moment. All right, we'll wrap it up because uh, a bit long here. And yeah, then um, long. show notes, robertberger.com, B-E-R-G-E-R backslash uh, F-A-R A-I-M. This is going to be 006. Uh, my email, F-A-R-A-I-M at robertberger.com. Uh, Lee, your email is? F-A-R-A-I-M at leegriffing.com. And then uh, Scott's is? I am F-A-R-A-I-M at scottboris.com. All right. And then um, we're in iTunes? Subscribe. Yes, yeah, yeah. we're, we're in iTunes now. Uh, hopefully my mic wasn't crackling. We do apologize. We, we believe we got that straightened out now using totally different systems and different microphone and running wires different. Um, so thumbs up, five stars for non-crackling mics. Um, write a comment. We don't just want the five stars. We want a iTunes comment. Make it interesting. We might read it on the air if it's funny. Uh, we're trying to get in the new and wor- noteworthy uh, in the Apple. Um, so hounded on it the first eight weeks we are in it and then um that's all i got yes uh i'm i'm good good all right take care everybody thank you for listening we will see you in the next one yep see ya see ya